When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Friends, uh, I don't know if you've been to any of our beautiful Victorian parks recently. I usually do my running in Gels Park in Glen Waverley, Willis Hill. And I always found people violating this rule. Do not feed the ducks. Do not face the geese. I don't know if you've ever seen this sign before, but here is why, right? Obviously, it's fun to give your bread to the ducks and they will come to you as if you can command them. But here is why they said, do not feed these wild animals. Because if you feed them bread, they will get fat, they'll get sick, and they'll be dependent on you. If you feed them you start a dangerous dependence that can eventually kill them. Because wild animals can become aggressive if they expect food, even they would chase you. And if you stop feeding them, then these animals will think of you as their food. So these are the reasons why we should not feed the ducks. So please stop that behavior. But that's what happened with the crowd, exactly similar. With the crowd who has just been fed by Jesus with bread and fish. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus should not feed them because Jesus had compassion on these 5,000 families who were hungry after listening uh, to Jesus. But my point was, the behavior of the crowd was very similar to the behaviors of the ducks. They became aggressive. They wanted to make Jesus their king by force. Because they thought, this guy, Jesus, is going to be very useful for us. So let's ensure that he's always close by. So we can go to him and ask him to satisfy our whims. Let's make him king. Let's control him. So that's the reason why we are reading the passage that we just read when Jesus actually walked on the water as these disciples of his were about to sink under the storm. So let's look at this under 
three lessons, three subheadings, although I'm sure there are more, because this is such a popular passage and you can discuss different facets, different um, angles, but I just want to focus on three this morning. The first one is that we're going to experience the waves of our lives every single day, or maybe not every day, but once um, or twice a month. But there are things in our lives because of where we are in this uh, fallen world and because we are sinful, we're going to experience waves of our lives. But let me retrace uh, uh, one step uh, from, uh, back from, from, from uh, last week to set up, set up the scene of what we uh, hear today. It took place, this, this whole thing of uh, the story of Jesus walking on the water took place uh, obviously uh, on the Sea of Galilee, but it took place also after Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 families in the wilderness by multiplying a boy's lunchbox, five bread and two fish. And it reminded people who no doubt knew their Hebrew Bible of another prophet who also miraculously fed the Israelites with manna from heaven, Moses. And that's why they said, this is indeed the prophet who is uh, to come into the world. So in their mind, they thought that Jesus is so similar to Moses, the greatest leader that they have known so far. So what these uh, people did, they made a political move, trying to make Jesus king by force. Why did they do that? Well, think about it, friends, because they, they always had this understanding of an earthly kingdom where the Romans would be overthrown and Jesus would return to them, uh, return them to the glory days. You know, under the King David, for example. So the, this was prophesied, uh, uh, prophesied in Scripture. But Christ's earthly kingdom would not be realized until his second coming. But that's not what he thought. He, he, they thought that Jesus would actually overthrow the Roman government and set up his earthly kingdom right then and there. They thought of Jesus as a social savior who would alleviate the deeply seated socioeconomic problems like poverty. They thought of Jesus as a heavenly bread maker who can make sure that no one goes hungry ever again. But they also thought of this, of Jesus. If Jesus can set them free from socioeconomic challenges like Moses, multiplying bread, surely he too can set them free from political oppressions like Moses. In Moses' day, it was under the oppression of the Egyptians, and now they were under the oppression of the Romans. So if Jesus can multiply it, Bread like Moses, surely Jesus can also set them free from the oppression of the current regime. They thought that if Jesus was king, they wouldn't be oppressed anymore. See, friends, these were the socioeconomic challenges, the political problems that they had in the first century. But Jesus did not come to primarily, primarily deal with the 
Israelites' problems in the first century. He said, I have come into the world, essentially he said, not to solve your problems, local problems, bounded by a specific time and place, but he essentially said, I have come to deal with the source of the problem that causes all of your economic, social, and political problems. I have come to solve the problem behind the problem. What is the problem behind the problem? The problem behind the problem is our willful rebellion to God and alienation from Him that results in sin and death and political oppression and poverty and racism and all those issues that we have. The source is our willful rebellion to God and alienation to Him. And unless we have a solution, we're going to end up in eternal death. So we heard last week that Jesus came to offer himself as the bread of heaven and give us eternal life because his body will be broken like the bread broken to be eaten because he was broken in our place to take the punishment of our sins. He was broken so that you and I can be made whole. See, the crowd wanted to make him king, but Jesus, knowing what's in their hearts, he did three things. The record of the gospel of Matthew and Mark told us that he, number one, dismissed the crowd. Just go away, because you're not wanting me as who I am. You're just wanting what I can do. The second thing he did was to send his disciples to the other side of the sea by boat. And the third thing he did, he went up to the mountain alone to pray to his heavenly Father. Now, that actually gives us two questions. Number one, when he sent his disciples to the sea, did Jesus knew, know that what they were about to experience? Did Jesus know when he said, go to the other side of the sea, did, did, did Jesus know that the disciples will experience Violent storms, crushing waves, strong winds. And if the answer is yes, that's the second question, why did he send them into that storm? See, this is, I think, a key question. Why did Jesus, knowing what they would experience, send them anyway to the middle of this violent Hurricane. Well, the, this is important to, understand, uh, to, 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 to know before we understand uh, this whole passage. The disciples were caught up in the frenzy of the crowd's desire to make Jesus king. And apparently, they did not get the lesson from the feeding of the 5,000 families. Matthew 16 recorded the heartedness of the disciples. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? So apparently the disciples did not get it. So the whole story about Jesus walking on the water, saving his disciples, this is the purpose, to make sure that they understood 
the lesson, and the lesson is about who Jesus is. But friends, he did not give a lecture about his deity. He showed them who he is. And this is a dramatic show and tell from the Lord of the waves himself. Let me give you uh, just, just a, a bit of a topography of the Sea of Galilee because this is where the miracle took place in the middle of the widest part of the sea. John 6.19 suggests that it was about three to four miles from the shore. That means 5.5 kilometers from the eastern shore. Now, the sea itself, the Galilee Sea, is about eight miles or 13 kilometers wide at its widest part. So this would uh, place them right in the middle of the sea. And they were a long way from land, as Matthew recorded. So what this disciples experienced after this, this miracle, this, this kind of a revival meeting, what they saw was this mighty hand of God, and then they found themselves in the middle of a huge sea buffeted by violent storms. Now, friends, I, I don't want to spiritualize this, but commentators suggest that what this uh, tells us for Christians it is so customary for us believers to experience stormy trials of the following, uh, uh, stormy trials after deep communion with and manifestation of Christ. So after you have this uplifting experience, you're going to a retreat, you're going to a Bible camp, you're going to a revival service, you know, you feel like you have this sweet communion with Christ. And then suddenly you found yourself in the middle of these trials. Why does God send us there after those sweet moments? Because your communion with Christ was given to you to prepare you for trials that you never knew you're going to face ahead of you. The disciples faced these storms of life after they witnessed a great miracle. The second reason was trials often are offered uh, to us, sovereignly customized for us to cure us of our spiritual pride, of our presumptions that we have been blessed by God. We are better than others because we have seen the hands of God in our lives. And then we have these trials to remind us no, you're not better than others. You are sinners saved by grace. And the way we realize that is, and is, is, is when we are under these uh, painful experiences of life and then we remember who we are and that we have to rely on Christ at all times. But in this case, the disciples had this trial to bring, uh, uh, bring them face to face with who Jesus really is. Not who Jesus that they thought he is. So friends, the violent waves were sovereignly ordained by Jesus. It was the Lord's will that this happened to the disciples. See, many of us who've been Christians for years, we say when something bad happened to us, we say things like, I must be out of the center of God's will. 
This cannot be God's will because look at me, I'm in pain. But would you look at the disciples again? They are right in the center of God's will. And that happens to be right in the center of the storm simultaneously. So the center of God's will for them is also the center of the storm, violent storm. In fact, it is because they obeyed the Lord when he asked them to go to the other side of the sea. It is because they obeyed, they were in trouble. Now all of us, either we are currently in the trial of life, or we just came out of that trial of life, or we are about to enter that trial of life. We are in one of those three scenarios. We are wondering how we're going to pay our mortgage. We are thinking of how our career will progress because it seems like it goes nowhere. Not faster than the boat that the disciples were on. Husbands and wives who are in despair thinking about the tensions in the marital relationships. Parents who are aching because the hard-heartedness of their children. Those who are struggling with physical illness, mental illness, and those who are facing the prospect of death. See, these things will pull, uh, put us out of our depth. No matter how smart we are, how experienced we are, how successful we are, how resourceful we are, how connected we are, none of the things that we have done or can do will prepare us for those things. Financial disasters, relational betrayals, illness, death, they will put us in this vulnerable position. Friends, we always experience the waves in our lives. That's the first point. So if you go home now, you're going to be in despair. So please pay attention to the second uh, point. The second point is, the disciples encountered the Lord of the waves. The question, I mean, imagine you were in, in that boat. And you were wondering, after hours of rowing in the middle of that night, and you only reach uh, the middle of the sea, you're getting nowhere. It's only 5.5 kilometers, and you have another 5 kilometers or so to reach the shore. And you were wondering, where is Jesus? He sent us to this violent storm. He said he was going to go up to the mountain and pray, but where is he now that we needed him? Why did he, why did he let us struggle by ourselves? Now, we often ask that question, do we? We often ask, has God abandoned me? We ask, have I done something that makes him distant? Many Christians then became angry to God because he was nowhere to be found or he was sleeping at the wheel. But John 6, 15 said that he was up in the mountain praying alone. Now, apparently, 
When Jesus prayed, he was actually praying for the disciples. He was watching the disciples who were in the trial. He was with them all the way with his caring eyes. He was always caring for them. And friends, this is where Jesus is today. He is high up above the heavens, the right hand side of the Father, and he's looking upon you. He's praying for you. He's not abandoning you. He's watching you, not by taking the trials out from you, but taking you through the trials. Let me repeat that again. If you wonder, where is Jesus when I'm experiencing these waves of life? Because I can't bear it no more. He is praying for you. He's upholding you. He's watching you. But he wants to grow you at the same time. And that's why he doesn't take the trials out from your midst, but he's taking you through them. Because remember, Jesus is always caring more about your holiness than your happiness. He wants you to be more like him rather than to be more successful in this world. So the first thing he did, he prayed for you. The second thing he did, he came to you. He came to the disciples, right? Uh, when they were about five or six miles, Jesus walked on the water. Matthew's gospel recorded that Jesus came on the fourth watch of the night. This is the parallel passage which you can read in, in Matthew as, as well as uh, Mark, which, which means the fourth watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And that means the disciples, because they started at night, they were rowing all night for at least seven hours to 10 hours, and they must be completely exhausted. See, friend, the lesson is the Lord often waits until we are at our breaking point, at our limit, at the fourth watch, before he actually helped us. Why? So that we can learn to trust him rather than our own experience. Don't forget, these guys, at least four of them, were experienced fishermen. And they were so used to all these forces of nature, right? But Jesus let them struggling for about seven to 10 hours before he actually helped them. But look at what he did. He came to them not on jet ski, he came to them walking on the water. He came to them powerfully. See the word walk or walking is a special word in, uh, in the original language that means casually strolling. You know, friends, if you are on a holiday and you're uh, driving around and then you see a lookout point, you will stop your car and then you get out of the car and then you're just casually strolling, enjoying the sceneries, taking photos, sending it uh, on, 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 on the social media, right? So you are casually enjoying the view. That's the word that was used by uh, Apostle John, in the middle of these destructive hurricanes, 
over a body of violent waves, Jesus was strolling. Now, there's another place in the New Testament where Jesus found himself in the middle of a great storm. Similar to this, he was surrounded by terrified sailors, and then he rebuked the winds and the raging waves. Peace, be still, and there was a great calm, instant calm. Psalm 89, 8-9 says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. But in this case, he did not still them. He actually walked on the water. He did not stop the storm, but he casually strolled through it. What does he show us? What does he tell us by doing so? Jesus shows us that he's not just greater than Moses. He's the God of Moses. Jesus shows his disciples a lesson. And here's the lesson. If the crowd, these people in the wilderness, compared me to Moses because I multiplied the bread feeding the 5,000 families, that's fine. But don't just compare me with Moses in that area. Moses, remember, can lead the Israelites to the Red Sea only because God himself parted the Red Sea. He split the sea so that Moses and the Israelites can walk through it. But it was God who split the sea, not Moses. You can see on the screen there, Psalm 77, 14, 16, the psalmist was so enthralled by everything that uh, he remembered, and he wrote this, what God is great like our God, you are the God who works wonder, you have made known your might among the peoples. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. See, only God can make the waters afraid. Only God can make the waters tremble. The deep itself trembled in the presence of God. Only God can split the Red Sea. And Jesus is now showing the disciples, I am that God. I am the God of Moses who parted the sea. Because Job said in Job 9, 8, that it is God alone who stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. So that's why the, they found Jesus calmly strolling through the storm. He is not just someone with superpowers, but he is one who can do what God alone does. So Jesus is basically saying, I have a sovereign power, I have an infinite power, and you try to control me by making me your puppet king to serve your agenda. I'm the one who holds the remote control, not you. See, friends, what's the difference between God and you? What is the difference between God and you? God never thinks that he is you. You always think that you are God. In fact, you always think that you are bigger than God, and that's why you can use him to do your bidding. So let's stop coming to God with conditions with prerequisites. You know, when you say, Jesus, I will serve you only if you give me this, if you help me with that. 
my family, my business, my study, my relationships, and so on. Because he is God who split the Red Sea. He can do anything he likes. But not only he came to the disciples powerfully, but he also came to the disciples so tenderly. Look what he said. He said, it is I. Do not be afraid. He's like the shepherd of the waves, the shepherd of the souls of the disciples. And he said, do not be afraid. Now, I know some people uh, are trying to say that there are 365 uh, times the word do not be afraid or do not fear appear in the Bible, but that's not actually accurate. There are uh, much less than 365. But still, in this instance, Jesus was so tender with them. Do not be afraid. Friends, Jesus is strong and kind. He was powerful that he controlled the waves, the violent storms, but he was also so tender with us. You cannot find that combination in any other gods, you know, puny deities in this world, strong and tender, powerful, but caring. And that's what you found in Jesus if you encounter him as the Lord of the waves. And the final thing that we want to uh, consider this morning in the uh, next slide, enthroning the Lord of, uh, in the waves. Enthroning the Lord in the waves. And I just want to focus, how, how do we uh, get to know this, this uh, uh, Lord of the waves when you notice the word, it is I. Now the word, it is I, um, comes from the uh, Greek word, two words actually, that says ego, amy. And it's the name that God introduced um, about himself to Moses. Remember Exodus 3, um, if you read uh, verse 14 in particular. Moses asked, Lord, if you ask me to, uh, to go to Pharaoh and, and, and liberate your people from the Egyptians, and they asked, who sent you? Who sent you to liberate the people of God? What should I say, Lord? And then God said, my name is I am who I am. Say to them, I am who sent you. Now, what Jesus said by introducing uh, himself as I am, he made himself equal to God. Now, there's a lot of I am statements in the Gospel of John that are Seven of them, true vine, bread of life, good shepherd, light of the world, and so on. But scholars conclude this. None of them actually make a direct uh, connection with God's use of I am in Exodus 3, 14. However, in this particular instance, when Jesus said, it is I, that has a direct connection with God's name in Exodus 3, 14. So Jesus' use of ego amy, I am. That's basically how it's supposed to read in the original language. I am, do not be afraid. That draws attention to his deity. Jesus is saying, I always am. I'm always present. 
I have no beginning and no ending. I depend on nothing, but everything depends on me. I'm not caused by anything, but everything is caused by me. I'm not just in existence, I am existence itself. But, but look at something that is quite interesting here. If Moses in Exodus 3, when God introduced his name, I am who I am, God also said to Moses, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And later in Exodus 33, when Moses asked, God, show me your glory. God said, nope. I can't do it because it can kill you. I'm holy, you are sinful, and my holiness will kill you instantly. But here, Jesus said, do not be afraid. He did not say, I am, be very afraid of me. No, he said, do not be afraid. Why, why, why did he change his tone? The answer is, I, I think, found in Psalm 144, Seven. We hear the cry of the creature before the creator. Stretch forth thy hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. Now we do not have this incident which is recorded in the gospel of Matthew um, where Peter actually said to Jesus, ask me to come to you, Lord, if it is you. And Jesus said, come. And then he took his eyes off uh, uh, from Jesus and then he was started to sing. And he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Now that's the authentic cry of the creature before the creator, before the savior. And we told that Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter and lifted him to safety. Jesus tramples on the waves of the sea and came to us stretching out his hands to save us because he actually would stretch out his hands on the cross to save us from sin and death. And because of that, he can say to his disciples, I am, do not be afraid. I'm going to stretch out my hands and save you not only physically, but literally from sin, death, hell, Satan, and from yourself. And guess what happened next? They brought Jesus to the boat, and suddenly they found themselves in the shore. The boat that bears the name of Jesus Christ will definitely reach the shore because he Jesus himself promised in John 6, 39, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I'll raise them up on the last day. And the final thing I want to mention in verse 33 of Matthew 14, which we do not see in John's gospel, those in the boat, after they reach the shore, worship him saying, truly you are the son of God. For the first time, if you read the entire John's gospel, this is the first time the disciples said with their lips, truly you are the son 
of God. This is the first time they actually enthroned Jesus as God. Why? Because they just went through trials. Because they just encountered the Lord of the waves. Friends, let us respond this morning to him. If you are encountering stormy trials in your life, whatever that is, financial, relational, maybe philosophical, come to him and meet Jesus so that you can see him for who he is, the Lord of the waves, the savior of the world, the shepherd of your soul. Let us pray together.